This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Our mission here at the Talking Taiao podcast is to inspire and support people, businesses and communities to value the environment and act to prioritise sustainability. We would like to highlight our region's efforts in acting as guardians of the land, Taranaki Tiaki Taiao, while weaving Te Reo Māori and Matauranga within our conversations to help our wider community learn through a positive, educational and uplifting lens. Welcome back to Talking Kyle Podcast. Thanks again to Access Radio for supporting our co-papa and to Sustainable Taranaki for uh, supporting as well from the background. Um, we have a very special guest, another non-Taranaki um, environmental scientist, um, but he is based in Dunedin. Yes, Dunedin. Yep. He nods. Um, so. Are you doing a PhD or...? I've finished my master's and I'm currently deciding whether I'll put myself through the strife of the PhD. Right, cool. Yeah. Sweet. I haven't introduced your name yet, so I'll let you do that because I don't usually do that. So you introduce your name and your background and what you do. Sure, sure. So uh, yeah, hi everyone. Uh, My name is Rob Lewis. I am an educator with the New Zealand Marine Study Centre down in uh, sunny Dunedin. Um, I particularly uh, am a fan of sharks and sharks are an animal that I've been studying for the last 10 or 12 years or so. Um, But I've loved sharks since my childhood. Uh, So that's kind of where my background lies. I um, yeah have a master's in marine science and oceanography um, and I've been studying zoology um, through my sort of formative years of, of undergrad and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I sit around. So that's where you're at now. Um, so, um, how do, sh- what do, and apologies for our listeners, if you hear any background noise, we're recording this from my whare in my little <laughs> office, and my husband is cooking some kai for us. <laughs> so there might be a bit of background noise in this one. Um, so you... Obviously, working with sharks and oceanography and, and marine science, how does your current mahi with sharks um, relate to environmental sustainability? Cool. So, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a big question there. Uh, so, sharks are um, obviously most commonly thought of as these massive predators, and they sit very high up in the food chain or in a food web, um, and their role in that sort of place is effectively... Um, the caretakers of that entire system that, that, that they're involved with. So um, typically people think about the fact that, you know, sharks are predators and they eat the things beneath them. And the things that they eat are usually the sick, the weak, the stupid. Um, you know, <laughs> they keep the populations of their prey healthy and they keep the populations of their prey in um, controlled sizes by having that sort of impact. Um, a lot of uh, impact that isn't normally talked about with sharks is also that it's not only them eating and um, physically changing the populations that they have to deal with, but it's actually their presence also changing the behavior of their prey and things like that as well. So um, if, you know, for instance, in our daily lives, we had wolves roaming our streets every time we went to the supermarket, 
our behaviors would change too, where we are not going to go to the supermarket unless we really need to, because you might get eaten by wolves. That's basically what sharks do in their own ocean ecosystem. So fish could go out and graze and, and munch on things all day long, but knowing that there's a predator that might take them while they're doing that prevents them from uh, doing it all the time to only when they need to. So there's a, 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 we call it consumptive effect, where the sharks will eat that animal, or a non-consumptive effect where they change their behavior. Um, and, and that trickles down, but as I said before, from the top of the food chain downwards. That's talking about the big sharks, of course. There are loads of different kinds of sharks and loads of different sizes and things, and we actually see them play a role all throughout marine food webs. Um, and marine food webs are, are quite uh, intricate. They're, they're not very straightforward. The food webs we see in land systems, often we can trace uh, a little bit more cleanly. Even those can be quite complicated. Um, but marine food webs are just a mess. And trying to figure out how things are changing when we start reducing or removing those uh, large and medium-sized predators. Um, there has been a few couple pretty clear case studies that have shown the impacts, but it's very hard for us to see direct impacts sometimes, and it's very hard for us to predict how that's going to change uh, our oceans in the future. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I sit with the environmental sustainability. We need to know more about these animals, and we need to know how their um, presence is changing or uh, helping that ecosystem, and then how we can maintain that moving into the future. Yeah, that um, having those um, apex predators sort of keep all the other species below them in that food chain hmm. maintains that, that balance, eh? and, it's, and it's good to have them there so that we can monitor that balance. That's right. Um, and, and like I said, we, there have been species that have been removed from those food webs or those food chains, um, and we haven't noticed a big difference. And sometimes that is because there are just so many different species that there's something else that can pop up and take that place. Uh, it, it's um, redundancy is, is the term they use for it. But the thing is, there's only so much redundancy that a system can take. And so we um, have impact, uh, impacts on the oceans. It reduces species or it reduces predators. Um, and we don't actually see the impacts run until it's at its breaking point. And so it'll, it seems like a very gradual or non-change. And then you can get these massive snaps where we go from one ecosystem state to another, where it's just a completely different habitat, a completely different setup of animals. Typically, you lose a lot of your biodiversity at the same time. Um, and that's the danger that we want to look out for. Basically, yeah, making sure that even if these things uh, don't seem to be having any apparent effects, that we do keep things in balance, lest we run into that exact situation. Mm. Um, and... In terms of those those snap moments when we realise just this, just how significant an effect has had on the ecosystem, um, what do you have any examples of that in terms like with sharks specifically? So, I mean, with sharks, there have been differences that we've started seeing. Um, there, actually, there's a really great example. Um, it wasn't a big snap change, I would say, but uh, around South Africa and Cape Town, they've got this massive seal island, uh, 25,000 seals, and that's just where the Great Whites have, have hunted for as long as we've known. Massive ecotourism set up around that, lots of people going to go check out these, some of the biggest Great Whites that we know of in the world. Um, and a few years ago, they just up and disappeared. The One, sharks. The sharks. They just, we, we went out, all the cage boats went out. And they couldn't find the sharks. Mm. The, the great whites just weren't turning up. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so, one, I mean, that's not cool. <laughs> it's, well, it wasn't <laughs> but great. But it's good to know. It was a big mystery. Um, but 
almost straight away, almost automatically what happened was um, seven gill sharks, which are also a large coastal shark, don't get as big as a great white. They get to about three meters maximum. That's that's kind of the biggest they get. Um, but they do fill a very similar role in that environment. So they're capable of eating the larger prey species, the seals, the dolphins, big um, reef fish and things like that. And almost instantly those sharks started patrolling the same island that were regularly just being great whites. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't a full snap change. This is more of what I was talking about with redundancy, I guess. But we can already see how we're pushing some of those species to a point where one day they just seemingly vanish. Uh, and then another species comes in to, to, to fill that niche. But that just means we've already removed a step. And then that ecosystem is another step forward. Um, not an example with sharks, but a very clear example is, um, in New Zealand at least, are things like uh, kinna. Um, where predators of kinna, things like snapper and leather jackets and things like that, have been uh, fished down to a point where they're not keeping kinna in a good um, population size. And crayfish. And crayfish, yep. Mm. They overpopulate and they absolutely decimate their favourite food, which is kelp. And so you remove all the kelp from the area and you get these urchin barrens or kinna barrens. Um, and it, really that kelp is home to a host of different species and it really is the, the, the lifeblood and the lungs of that environment. And so that's a big change of state where you can see it was once this massive kelp forest, lots of animals floating around, uh, predators, everything going around. And as soon as you remove that kelp or the kinder have taken that down, it just empties. Uh, and that's a big change of state. Uh, so again, not using sharks, but that's the kind of thing that we want to look out for with sharks. Mm. Uh, in some of the islands, uh, island areas, there have been some uh, reductions in reef sharks and things, and we have started seeing smaller sharks try and replace them. Uh, and again, around New Zealand as well, we are starting to see um, spiny dogfish and rig, which are a medium-sized shark, starting to replace those very large animals even sometimes. Uh, and people are starting to call them a pest because whenever they go out and fish, they only catch the spiny dog, you know, it's turning into a thing and they think oh these population numbers must be getting out of control when in reality it's more of an impact of we've removed this predator and this predator and this predator so this is the next one in step um and it's actually weakening the other way uh so yeah it's <laughs> it all fits together in a massive puzzle that we're constantly trying to to tease apart and it's yeah intricate yeah that's a really good way of um, teasing out why the marine ecosystem so intricate also because it's so hard to access um so out of sight you mm. know it's under the water um a lot of these things we don't see directly um and yeah yeah exactly that's hitting the nail on the head i guess yeah well you've covered a lot and you've used a lot of examples already um before we move into the next part of the conversation do you have a song that you'd like to share with us for the song break oh song i should have thought about this one before Song break. <laughs> Song break. Just in case it, because the thing turned off, so I was just um, sure, making sure, sure. sure that they know what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, Any song. Somebody to Love by Queen. Stand on my 
I love that song, and I love how it to me that ties in with loving sharks because sharks need love as well. <laughs> they certainly do. Yep, they've uh, had a pretty pretty rough old image up until this point. Yeah, exactly. And and so you're working on a project at the moment that is getting kids like really in wider communities to get really involved in in learning more about sharks because obviously people fear what they don't understand and so in my eyes this this project um you know it'll be really interesting to see how people's perspectives change about sharks so if you could tell us more about shark spy that'd be cool sure sure yeah so yeah uh, Shark Spy, as you said, it is a um, project that uh, was initially actually inspired by the community. Um, working at the Marine Study Centre, uh, we do often get community members calling through or sending us something interesting that they saw. And they say, what's this? What can you tell us about this? Um, or I've seen this weird thing and can you tell me what's happening? Um, and so we had a few people calling in and, say, and saying, oh, I'm catching um, this kind of shark uh, at a time of year when I didn't normally catch them. Or... Um, we're seeing them feed on prey that we hadn't seen them feeding on before. And all of that kind of information is interesting and it's good and it should be used to help direct future research, but it wasn't actually going anywhere because it was kind of, you know, they're asking, we're answering, and then it kind of disappears into the cloud. So SharkSpy uh, was conceived as a way to try and capture that information and actually store <coughs> it uh, and use it somehow to actually further our knowledge on sharks. Um, so the idea with SharkSpy is that we have a community segment. Uh, so with the community, we are particularly asking for help uh, with any shark sightings that people have had. So um, even historical sightings uh, or anything that they come across now. Um, and if they're wanting to take part in collecting information or if they just want to learn generally more about sharks, um, then we go out and we connect with whoever is interested. Um, and we try and uptake any knowledge that the community has as well um, to try and you know work together with the community to further our understanding on both fronts. We, we really try our best to try and make it a two-way street of information, a two-way street of learning um, where we can tell them what we know, they can tell us what they know, and collectively we try and build the picture uh, out of that together. Um, then on the education front and on the school side, it's a a plunge into science, if you will. Um, in this case, we, we use sharks as the hook uh, because no matter what, sharks get a reaction out of people. And kids love sharks. Uh, whether you hate them or, or scared of them or anything like that, you still want to know more about them. And so for us, that's a great way to uh, get the kids' attention and focus, and then we run them through the science process. So I go into schools and I do a full background introduction on what we do know about sharks in New Zealand and a little bit around the world. Um, we talk about how we could collect more information. We come up with a question that they want to answer. And then we go out on uh, a different day into the field and we actually collect that information using baited underwater videos. Uh, so baited underwater videos, as the name suggests, it's a camera, looks down at a bait box, bait box attracts sharks or fish or anything else to the camera, uh, and we can identify, quantify, all that sort of stuff, whatever comes in through the video. So it's really great because it's non-invasive, you don't have to handle or catch anything, um, you know, you just drop it out there, leave it bring it back in and there's loads of information. You can analyze that video for a million different things, including what kind of habitat it's in, uh, what kind of prey species turn up, uh, what kind of interactions and behavior you're seeing. So we're really just scratching the surface with the data that we're collecting, looking at the shark side. But it's to try and get the kids to see that, although we're looking for this thing, there are so many more things involved in the environment and it all links together. So it's not just, uh, you know, 
this is the thing we're doing and you're done, it starts showing them that everything does need following up on, you know, in one way or another. Anyway, take all that back to the class and we do a full analysis session. The data is um, uploaded onto iNaturalist, so it is freely available for anyone who wants to use it, uh, the community, the schools, um, scientists, fishermen, anyone who wants it, it's there. Um, we want everyone to have equal access. We're currently working on a little project where you can even analyze the data online with us um, through Xenoverse. Uh, so hopefully that'll go live soon. And then from the comfort of your home, you can help us look at shark videos and things like that and tell us what you're seeing. Um, and then at the end of it, all we talk about, you know, what have we learned? What more do we need to know? How much does this help us? Uh, and usually we come up with the, the general conclusion that if we're going to know enough to make a change, there needs to be a lot more work put in and there's a lot of other things we need to look at. Um, and so that, that really is taking them through that sort of um, background, forming a question, making a hypothesis, collecting the data, analyzing the results, and then having a discussion at the end. So the full science process. Um, and the kids didn't even know they were doing it half the time because mm. they were looking at sharks. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the project kind of follows on those two main um, information sources. So uh, general community, interaction, and um, sightings, and, and, and history. And then the schools are actively collecting information using baited underwater video. Um, and between those two things, we, we do um, are starting now to, to see enough data roll in that we can actually start making some um, judgments on certain areas or uh, coming to a few different conclusions on when, when we may or may not see certain species coming into an area and that sort of thing. So It's so exciting. Yeah, sorry, there's, there's a lot to it. Uh, it is kind of still early days as well. Um, and there is more we'll, we'll want to do uh, in future. But um, Well, that's science, isn't it? Like, you know, science is always progressing, even if, you know, habitats um, and species change between environments, time, um, community, you know, communities that live around those habitats and things like that. So it's really important to understand how complex science is is or just like nature in general is really complex but it's also really exciting to learn how parts mm. of it work so that you've got a better understanding of a the impact that we have on our environment but also how important each and every species is within those environments and having us as um community members the schools the kids um involved in science um data gathering that's called citizen science, and we have talked about citizen science in a previous um, in a previous episode. I can't remember which one it is, but we have mentioned it. Um, so it's really cool that people uh, are able to com contribute towards citizen science around sharks. That's just mm. a really unique and species to help with. Especially, you know, uh, with the schools, it's kind of easy because with that collaboration, it's it's contri it's contribution, but they're also being equipped hopefully with some skills of being a little critical and looking at something coming their way and having to make a decision on does this make sense can i rely on this you know what should i do in the future um and yeah yeah that that's that of course is one of the underlying factors that we're also trying to achieve is just involving people with science um removing the black curtain because I, I i feel that these days there's a big disconnect from we're seeing these results come out and we're having to take people's words uh, but because you don't see the process and because you don't understand what's going on behind the curtain, there's always that shred of doubt. And I mean, fair enough, in this world, uh, it's it, it's understandable that people are doubtful 
that information comes through and they say, no, there's no way that can be true. Um, so having an understanding of that science process and understanding how we get to those conclusions, I think will generally just help the world in, in that, that sense of moving forward in a critical way uh, and making sure that we're trying to make the best decision at each point. Nice. Thank you for your mahi. Um, I have a couple more questions. One is, oh, well, I'll start with the next one. Um, very quickly, um, do you have a brief story of how you were inspired to pursue marine? Because obviously you've gone from like marine studies, oceanography, shark science. And, <laughs> and I know like anyone who, who understands the academic world, but also just being a curious person, um, that it is quite, um, it's quite natural for a scientist to go off in different areas and sort of investigate different aspects of a yeah sure overall topic but yeah what inspired you so for me uh it has always been sharks from day one and what happened was uh i was born in volfus by namibia so uh the Namib desert just a giant sandy desert on the coast of 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 uh southwest africa um not i mean there's loads to do but my favorite place was the beach because there was loads of animals, lots to do, lots to look at, all that sort of stuff. Uh, loved the water, dad's a keen fisherman, all that sort of stuff. Um, my mother one day read me a story uh, from a Reader's Digest of a shark attack. And it absolutely... Reader's Digest, yep, right. <laughs> yep, that's right. So she read me the story and it absolutely scared the pants off of me. I hated the idea that one of my favourite places had this uh, fish that could come from the deep and take me at any point, right? So I was terrified of sharks as a kid. Um, and really I started learning about them because I wanted to avoid them and I wanted to get away from them And it was that fear of the unknown that you mentioned before that drove me to the point where I was like I just want nothing to do with this animal and and Learning about things um, and the more I learned about them the more I fell in love with them um, Learned the uh, you know how misunderstood they were the problems they were having how they've been overfished for, for many many years and uh, sub, um, Basically been pinned as the bad guy for a long time um, Yeah that, that was kind of the starting point. And from that age, I've always said, I'm going to be a marine biologist. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think it would actually happen, but here we are. So, yeah, no, yeah. That's that's a really cute story. <laughs> that's Thanks, really Mom. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're very lucky to have you here studying that topic in New Zealand in our waters. Um, and finally, do you have a last sort of message or something to leave with our, our listeners? So, um, really, I just want to sort of reiterate that uh, Shark Spy or the project is the idea that we want people to get involved with not only the environment um, but also helping us um, learn more about the places they live. There's no way that scientists can cover every square inch of New Zealand. It's the people that live there that know the most about their area. Um, so really if, if, if you can or if you're interested, um, get in contact with us. Um, Shark Spy, it can just be googled uh, and you'll find our Facebook page and you'll find our email um, and contact details. We're also on iNaturalist if, if you are that way inclined as well. Um, but any sightings, any information you have, please, um, if you can send them our way to SharkSpy, uh, it's all going to go to helping them one way or another eventually, uh, and it makes it available for everyone else as well. Woohoo! Thank you so much. Thanks so much for talking to me about your project, and <laughs> I look forward to seeing the data and the outcomes from this project. Yeah, me too. This show is created and made possible by Sustainable Taranaki. Sustainable Taranaki is a charitable trust that was started in 1992 in Inglewood by a group of progressive environmentalists. It now has grown and expanded its reach but keeps the same vision of prioritizing our environment and educating the community.
This show was first broadcast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM, thanks to New Zealand On Air.